0: The epistle is from Galatians chapter 3. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I said it before. But I'll say it again. Happy New Year. Thank you. This is the time for making New Year's resolutions, right? This is the time when we, let's really get serious about this thing now. Um, Now, most of these, like the whole idea of a New Year's resolution, right, is predicated on this concept that uh, if you make a lifestyle change, uh, and are serious enough about it, if you can muster up, enough, muster up enough willpower to stick to it, then something, some desirable change is going to come in your life. And then in some cases, that's reasonable, right? Diet, exercise, more sleep, drink more water, right? If you do all of those things, if you make positive changes there and stick to them, there's data to show that you're going to feel better, yeah. Uh, in other cases, that's a little unrealistic. Um, you're probably... I mean, I don't know. I remember making some New Year's resolutions that, in hindsight, really had they had no chance of ever coming true. Um, now, perhaps part of what you're considering as we begin a new year is how to be a, uh, be a better Christian. And I put the quotes around that because um, Jesus makes us Christians, and we can't add to what Jesus has done. But we all find ourselves, I think, at one point or another, thinking, Oh, maybe I should attend church more regularly, or maybe I should listen, start listening to uh, more Christian podcasts or reading different kinds of books or reading my Bible more. Maybe I'll finally finish that Bible in a year reading plan. Or I'll try to pray, just the Lord's Prayer, every night before going to bed with my spouse. Um, There are all kinds of options for things that we can do. Remember, things that we can do that we think are going to put us on the right path with God. And it seems so reasonable. It seems like that makes so much sense. Now, the Galatian church was wrestling with a similar issue from our epistle reading this morning. There was an influential group in the early church. church, They were called Judaizers. And they insisted that all Christians had to conform their lives to the Mosaic law. All the customs that the Jewish people followed... Well, after all, Jesus was an observant Jew. You're telling me that we're just going to break away from all of that stuff? No, we got to follow all the law that Moses gave in Exodus and Leviticus, the holiness code in Leviticus. That's all that all still applies for for Christians. Remember, the church started as a movement, you could say, within the Jewish culture and religion. Jesus He observed the rites, the customs. He made the necessary sacrifices. And one of the most significant customs in Judaism is the covenant sign on all the males on the eighth day after their birth, they're circumcised. God instituted this practice as a sign of the covenant he made, the everlasting covenant. It was never abrogated. It was never done away with. He made this covenant with Abraham. And then he ratified it again with Moses after the Exodus, and Jesus himself was circumcised. And I mentioned that today is the feast day in the church year for that very thing, the eighth day of Jesus' life. When even as an infant, he fulfilled all the requirements of the law for us. Why is this the feast day in the church? What does that have to do with the Judaizers and St. Paul's letter to the Galatian church? We celebrate the circumcision of Jesus because it signifies his complete adherence to the law for us. All of the doing that the law demands has already been done for us by Jesus. Being part of God's people is no longer a cultural thing or a genetic thing, but something we participate in through faith. It's not a thing shared among blood relatives (laughs) but it's shared by the blood of Christ. I encourage you to turn your bulletin over to the back cover, and you can follow along with the epistle reading there. St. Paul says in Galatians 3, verses 23 and 24, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Meaning this, The Mosaic Law that God instituted for His holy nation, Israel, His chosen people, was only ever meant to serve as a guardian. Life and salvation achieved by keeping the law was never the point. Because if that were possible for anyone, Jesus would never have had to come. Instead, the law was our guardian. And when Paul says guardian, he's referring to a specific role within the Roman household at that time period. This was a slave called the uh, paedagogos, which sounds a lot like the English word pedagogue. But it's one of those things where it's a false cognate. Because pedagogue in English means teacher, right? That's what we use that word for. But in Greek, the paedagogos was not a teacher. This was just a person who was responsible for getting kids to and from... Education, or the gymnasium or wherever they needed to go. This person would, was responsible for their conduct. This person would administer discipline when necessary. They were entrusted with that responsibility. This uh, governor over the child was the guardian. And that is what Paul wants us to think of the law as for Christians. <coughs> When a child would mature to a certain point, the guardian wasn't needed anymore, but the guardian didn't just cease to exist. The relationship between the guardian and and the child, now matured, just changed. The guardian wasn't responsible for getting them to and from school anymore or responsible for the child's conduct anymore. So that's why St. Paul says in the next two verses, Galatians 3, 25 and 26, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Faith has come. He says, but now that faith has come, what he means by saying faith has come is that the gospel has been revealed. Jesus has come. There's been a sea change, a seismic shift in everything. All of history pivots on Jesus Christ entering the world and dying for our sins on the cross. And now that faith has come, now that Jesus has come to be crucified for us, our relationship to our guardian, right, the law, has changed. The law condemns sin, but Jesus has already suffered the condemnation for our sin. Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, The law restrains the evil in our hearts, but the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within us to desire to obey God's commands. And we sing it, right, in the offertory today after I'm done preaching. Create in me a clean heart, O God, right? Christians want a clean heart. Christians want to be righteous and holy. We've got a taste for it. And even though our bodies still fight against it, right, we still do rebel and just sometimes we want what we want and we don't really care if it's a sin we'll just figure that out later we'll go to church and get forgiven for that later not a great approach but we all do it our relationship with the law has changed because the gospel has come St. Paul referencing this sons of Abraham concept that was at stake right the Judaizers remember this group that insisted that everybody still had to follow all the Jewish law One of their concerns was God made this eternal promise to Abraham. And he said, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Through Abraham's offspring. So it was a big deal, you know, to be part of God's chosen people was to be part of Abraham's offspring. So if you weren't a son of Abraham, well, that's not a good thing. You you wanted to be a son of Abraham. And so Paul is referencing that when he says, in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. He elevates it, takes it to another level. Sons of Abraham, Ah, you're sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Something bigger, greater, more powerful, more glorious than the law and being a son of Abraham is here now. The gospel of Jesus that makes you a son of God is here so where do we get this benefit how do we get all of this for ourselves if it's here if it's arrived how do we claim that how do we make that our own paul says in christ jesus you're all sons of god through faith how do we get to be in christ jesus baptism baptism Paul says in Galatians 3.27, the next verse, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When you're baptized into Christ, you participate in everything that is his, his righteousness, his honor, his glory, the way that he is adored by the other two persons of the Trinity is the way that the Trinity adores you. Everything that Christ has, everything that Christ has won is yours. In baptism. It's not something you can get by finishing that Bible reading plan. Or by praying more regularly. It's all already yours. Now underlying this entire debate with the Judaizers. Is this idea that God's chosen people are easily identified by genetics and cultural customs. They were supposed to be set apart. And circumcision was one of the ways that they would do that. The Jews had always been God's chosen people as far back as Father Abraham and God's promise to Abraham, right, again, was in your offspring, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. This was taken to mean God's chosen instrument to bless the world were the genetic descendants of Abraham. But St. Paul throws this entire idea out the window in the last two verses of the reading, verses 28 and 29. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. That whole thing doesn't matter anymore. And in fact... There's neither slave nor free. There's not even male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. How a person receives salvation is not winning the uh, genetic lottery happening to be born with uh, a bloodline that traces right back to Abraham or the tribes of Israel. How a person receives salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's it. There's no social uh, class that is more advantaged. There's no ethnicity that is at more of an advantage. There's no gender that is at more of an advantage to receive salvation in Jesus. Being a Jew or a Gentile is of no consequence, and neither is any other category we could possibly sort ourselves into. Being in Christ is truly what it means to be Abraham's offspring, God's chosen instrument to bless the world. So if we're chosen to bless the world, but we're free from the law that says do all of these things, then do we bless the world by just doing whatever we want to do? Is that just how that happens? Mm, Not quite. That'd be a little too good to be true. Where does this leave us? Because we're in Christ. We're free from the law. You would think, well, if I have forgiveness in Jesus, then maybe that could be kind of a license for sin. Or like I I can take the pressure off of trying to live a holy life a little bit. And that's not what Christians are to do. We're not to um, take advantage of God's kindness that has led us to repentance. Later in Galatians, St. Paul addresses this. In Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, but that freedom isn't just to do whatever we want and, you know, live for number 1, that is us. Our freedom is supposed to be directed at serving one another in love. At the start of a new year, we all need to hear this good news. All of the doing that the law demands has already been done for you by Jesus. All of your sins have been atoned for. All of your shame has been covered. All your guilt has been wiped away. He separated our sins from us as far as the East is from the West. There's no more work to do. That work is done. And now that we are free from those demands, I think we should be making our resolutions if that's the kind of, you know, if not everybody makes New Year's resolutions, But if you are going to make them, make them in light of that fact. Rest in the gospel. Rest in the work that has been done for you. And consider this, that the law, right, has not just ceased to exist. Like the guardian, our relationship has just changed with the law now. Now the law tells us how to love our neighbor. The very same commandments that used to condemn your dishonoring of your parents or lying and gossiping, or impure thoughts, or hateful thoughts toward others, those very commandments now are guides for you (laughs) as you seek to love your neighbor. Remember in the small catechism when it says, thou shalt not bear false witness. What does this mean? It doesn't just repeat that. It means don't lie about your neighbor. Dang it! It means we should build up, we should protect and preserve our neighbor's reputation. When it says don't steal, the explanation that Luther gives isn't doesn't just double down on that. It says we should actually work for the security and the preservation. We should try to help our neighbor keep his stuff, keep their stuff. The law helps us. The law gives us ideas for how to love each other and how to serve each other. That's what we were set free from the law to do. Not to just cast it aside and kick our feet up onto the table and relax until Jesus calls us home, but to walk in the footsteps of our Lord who poured out his life to love us, to serve us. May the Holy Spirit Give us grace and power to follow our Lord as we begin this new year. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.